Take a deep breath with me. It is exhausting to live as a person of color in the United States, to live wondering when the next confrontation with a system or institution designed to collect debt from us will come. Debt that was structurally and systemically constructed to harm us and debt that can result in the separation of our families, in the abuse of our bodies and our minds, in hunger, in the loss of shelter or livelihood, or even in death. We are not a country where the idea of a social moral contract that recognizes our interdependence, affirms the agency of the earth as a living being and that sees value and worth in every person is popular. Survival of the fittest, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, earn your way. These are the mottos that we use to obfuscate the reality that this is a country built for white people, organized for the benefit of white people, set up to ensure the comfort of white people at the expense of everyone else, especially black, indigenous, and immigrant folks. Take a deep breath with me. If there is a nation in need of a jubilee, a season of debt forgiveness and reparations is the United States. The ways in which debt figures in our daily life, how it is central to our daily existence is remarkable. Be it student debt or credit card debt, payday, lending debt or medical debt or social debt, either what we owe or what we believe people owe us. We as a nation struggle mightily with our debts. We have even created narratives that make one debt good and positive and the other one bad, requiring monitoring, intervention, and control. The good debt builds us your credit score and opens opportunities, while the bad debt makes us inevitable for credit and denies us access to housing, food, transportation, in some cases, even our freedom. But this is not the only debt that dominates our thinking and our, gener and our energy. In the aftermath of the latest string of murders of Tony McDade, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, and Ahmaud Arbery, the United States has exploded in an uprising. The people raised their voices in favor of reparation and justice for the unjust and reparation for the inequitably debt carried by every black body. The people protest the militarization of police and the control of the bodies and the communities of people of color. The groans of communities in Nero Jubilee, especially of the African-American community, dominate our feeds and push us to confront the violent system of debt-making, debt-collecting, and debt investment we have in the United States. Take a deep breath with me. We do not have enough time in this reflection to take on the ways in which capitalism shapes life in the United States, but a sermon about debt requires we say something. Central to how we practice capitalism is the belief that profit can be made, in fact, profit should be made from the selling and the trading of things. The history of the United States tells us that the process of turning living beings into commodities, into things to be traded for profit was not accidental, but in fact, foundational to how the United States evolved economically and politically as a nation. 
we turn human beings, specifically black and indigenous bodies, into things to be traded for the building of white wealth. But our commodification didn't end there. We also broke land, divided it, extracted from it, and imposed borders upon it to generate and build white wealth. Our capitalism has been deadly for communities of color in this nation. Our worship of the free market has resulted in overinvestment in ways of living and being that require and demand the commodification of people of color and their labor. This is a debt so violently gotten that the only way we have avoided being held accountable for it as a nation is to suppress its existence and condition its white citizens to not see it and deny it. Take a deep breath with me. All one must do is look at our justice system to see how the investment in the denial of the debt combined with our inequitable and racist socioeconomic and cultural arrangement imposes debt bondage upon communities of color. We say you are innocent until proven guilty, except if you are not white, and then you are guilty until proven innocent. We say you are innocent until proven guilty, except if you are poor, because then, then you will lack the necessary capital to get out of the clutches of a system invested in keeping you indebted to society. You will not be able to pay the fines or come up with bail. We say that you are done with your debt to society once you have served your time, except we will strip you of your voting rights. We will prevent you from accessing public housing so you can rejoin your family. We will keep you from seeing your children. We will prevent you from getting a job, even getting deported, unless, of course, you have the means to avoid all of it, including punishment from your actions to begin with. The groans of communities of color in need of Jubilee push us to confront the violent system of debt we have in the United States. Take a deep breath with me. White supremacy has so thoroughly twisted our imagination and our moral core that when witnessing structurally manufactured racist and biased debt, crippling communities of color, our economic impetus isn't to relieve the burden, but to make money from it. I think about my country, Puerto Rico, a U.S. colony, that because of U.S. colonial policies and practices fell into a deep financial crisis. When this happened, the impetus of the United States and its financial institutions wasn't to relieve the pressure and to liberate the debt. The impetus was to invest and make money from what would be the predictable failure of the island to meet its financial responsibilities. In doing so, our policies ensured that the island of Puerto Rico and its government would be unable to invest in the necessary infrastructure of social services, education, and social welfare needed by the disproportionately poor and unemployed population. Take a deep breath with me.
I had the choice to explore with you the wonderful world of Genesis and the creation story and lunar festivals and to think about beauty in the ordinary according to the theme of fest you are engaging and exploring this month. Instead, I dove into the world of Leviticus and the celebration of the cycle of Sabbath and Jubilee. I mean, if one is honest, Leviticus is not a world, it's not a book that one just turns to easily and certainly not if one is queer. I mean, have you read the book? Especially the section from which today's reading comes from, a section known as the Holiness Code. I'm going to be clear. There is stuff in this book that it is terrible. It has been weaponized, misused, out of context to harm people who are lesbian, queer, bisexual, transgender, and intersex. There are lines in this text that have been used to harm us. And there is a treasure in this book, particularly in chapters 25 and 26, regarding the practice of Jubilee. Before diving any further, let me say there are five things that I need you to keep in mind um, for the purposes of our exploration today. One, this book is written after the Israelites left the bondage of Pharaoh, are crossing the Red Sea, and are making their way to the land that God promised. Two, the book offers us an insight into what it means to be a wandering people whose identity is being remade along the way who are learning to live not as people who have been enslaved, but a people living in covenant with a God who desires to dwell among them. Three, our reading for today is found in the section that I previously referred to as the Holiness Code. Four, the Holiness Code is much more concerned with what it means to practice and live as people who are holy because their God is holy than it is with purity. And five, it's important to remember that those journeying through a desert are finding ways to divest themselves of the multi-generational impact of life in bondage and enslavement, while simultaneously developing practices, ways of living and being that reflect the covenant they have made with each other and the covenant they are making with God, their creator. And so we come to the reading for today, which describes two things in relationship to each other, the cycle of Sabbath and the cycle of Jubilee. First about Sabbath, the practice of Sabbath is one of the covenants with God that reminds us of the creation. It's a practice that is to be observed every seven years in alignment with the creation mythologies and narratives like the ones we see in the book of Genesis and are referred to in both Deuteronomy and Exodus. It builds a pattern in which the land can be worked for six years, produced during those years, and in the seventh year, the land and the people who work the land are left to rest. In the year of resting, those who have been dependent upon the land will eat and be sustained what by what the land has gifted them the previous six years, and they will themselves get the opportunity to rest and be restored, even as the land is restored. Connected to that, then, is the pattern of Jubilee, so that every seven Sabbath years, which means 49 years, 
the 50th year would be a year of Jubilee. It is not just that the land and the people who work the land will be allowed to rest and be restored, but that the land itself will be returned to the people to whom the land was given as a gift by God. The people who are connected to that land, those who have been working it, those who have passed it on to other people, those who may have debts acquired because they were trying to work the land, or the debts that people have with one another in relationship to that land, all of those debts will be forgiven. And the people who are being held in bondage to work that land because of issues around that land, because of deals around that land, all of those people will be released from their bondage, whether they are foreigners or not, whether they are Israelites or not. In other words, on the Sabbath year, there will be an economic and social reset button pressed. Because as Leviticus argues, the creator of the land, the God who desires to dwell among us, seeks the liberation and the restoration of right and equitable relationships. Take a deep breath with me. I live my life in the precipice between boundless imagination and a pragmatism born from scarcity. I am clear that as a person born in a U.S. colony and raised in the context of white supremacist USA, the values and frameworks, the ways of thinking and being that are dominant in U.S. culture live in me, whether I am conscious of it or not. You can say that I live a life encumbered by ordinary privileges. Privileges like cisgenderness, able-bodiedness, neurotypicalness, education, economic stability and security, food and housing security, healthcare access, legal status, property ownership, middle-classness, and so on. I also suspect I am not the only person of color. I am not the only queer person in this boat. And I for sure know there are millions of white Americans in this boat with me because the boat was built for them. The rest of us, we are interlopers. And I name us because it is our encumbrances of privilege that make the celebration of festivals of Jubilee hard, to, uh, hard for us to embrace in their fullness. I mean, let us be real. If we have committed our lives, wittingly or unwillingly, to the empire that is the U.S. because we bought its lives of meritocracy and the illusory dream of upward mobility, because we've been working towards equality without having it cost us anything, because we believe that this is a land of milk and honey and opportunity and we bought the lives of the American dream, and because or because we have shaped our identity around being a good united station, then the invitation to be in Jubilee is difficult. It is an invitation to reimagine our social, political, and cultural compact. It is an invitation to have to lose 
in order to gain. So my daily struggle, my daily struggle is to liberate my imagination long enough from the grip of white supremacy that I can imagine what you believe might be like. Take a deep breath with me. I have long admired people with visions of restored creation that are unencumbered by the distorting roots of white supremacy that live in me. How they pursue a vision and do not allow themselves to compromise or negotiate it away in order to achieve a short-term gain and the illusion of peace. I admire their commitment to nothing less than total and radical transformation because they know that anything less will simply keep in place a political order, a social order where silencing, oppressing, and if necessary, killing people of color bodies, especially black and indigenous ones, is absolutely acceptable. I admire how they pursue the reparation of land and human relationships, how they work for the elimination of racial bias debt, how they labor to ensure the end of structural bondage and how they talk to us about that transparently, letting us know that it will not come for free because there is a cost to Jubilee. The inequity in which we have been invested, in which we have been profiting from for the last 500 years, has accumulated a debt that must be repaid and repaired. Take a deep breath. This sermon series entitled Fest 6 and I quote, to elevate the critical role that play and joy have in our faith and in sustaining us through challenge, after offer concrete ways to experience joy and celebration and delight in the midst of the pandemic and offer us ways to seek the Holy Spirit and God's adaptivity in our response to change and challenge. I am sure you can tell I struggle a little bit with that. So how does Leviticus invitation to the practice of Sabbath and Jubilee, to the festival of debt forgiveness and the restoration of land speak to us today. At a minimum, the text reminds us that the invitation to practice and animate holiness is not about purity, but about dismantling social practices, policies, and economic means that diminish the holiness of all that God has created. Structurally, it invites us to reimagine the social arrangements we have become invested in. It asks that we join with others in the groaning and in the crying that say, defund the police. Defund every militarized form of control, of oppressive order. It pushes us to enter collaborations where we work to dismantle the systems of control that keep people embedded, indebted systematically and structurally and therefore in bondage. It suggests that instead of investing in systems that are death dealing, that we invest in systems that allow 
for communities to thrive and flourish. Like free healthcare and education and food and transportation. Institutionally, it pushes us as Christians to have to make a choice. Do we stand where God stands? Will we embody communal practices that give flesh to liberation? As a person of color living in white supremacy USA, I must admit the invitation to explore celebration was hard to engage in. I mean, because have you seen us? Have you seen what we do to communities of color? So I am grateful to a friend who offered a word of redirection. You see, she reminded me that not all celebration has to appear joyous, which got me thinking about other frames, like observance, marking, honoring, keeping, magnifying, remembering, and solemnizing. Her redirection allowed me to see that what we have been witnessing and participating in, the uprising unfolding before us, is a jubilee festival. It is a festival demanding the end of dead bondage and over-policing and of community disinvestment and of the practice of accepting that the bodies of people of color are acceptable collateral damage to white comfort and white safety. We are witnessing the magnification of people of color voices, specifically African-Americans ones. We are observing the crashing of symbols that glorify war, colonialism, and capitalism. We are honoring the long traditions of resistance that enabled people of color broadly and LGBTQIA people of color specifically to survive and even thrive in systems and structures that, as Audre Lorde reminds us, were never meant for us to survive in. And we are solemnizing the lives of so many people taken, with chants and cries demanding justice. Take a deep breath with me. I am left with this conclusion that the celebrations that allow for the transformative spirit of God to move like a refining fire may not always involve balloons or feel good, but they will make a way for transformation because the work of ushering the realm of God, it is not for the fainthearted. God demands that we acknowledge that what we have witnessed Last week was creation demanding restoration, reparation, jubilee. It demands that we be willing to hit reset, that we critically assess with the intent to dismantle, repair, restore, and reorganize all economic and political relationships and institutions, including the church, so that we can in fact be standing in communities that we can be living and dwelling in communities that are equitable. Communities where people have what they need to thrive and flourish and not more than what they need. 
The work of ushering the realm of God among us is not for the faint-hearted, and it is the only choice we have. Do not invest ourselves in it. Do not pursue a day where jubilee is experienced by the land and by those most oppressed. Do not seek it without ceasing. It's to fail our baptism. It's to fail our siblings. It's to fail this earth and it's to fail our creator. We who call ourselves Christian in this picture have a particular challenge and a responsibility to be invested in making the Feast of Jubilee possible. Christianity in the United States, because of its willing participation and collaboration with the evil that is white supremacy, has to become invested in creating the conditions that will allow communities of color in this nation to experience Jubilee. Take a deep breath with me. The work of ushering the realm of God among us is our path to liberation. It is our true path to celebration. Amen.